0: You know it's serious business time when you're having dark conversations with no lighting here on Vigeur please a heinous trip at warp 5 my name is Joseph there's a new drug on the streets makes alien robots get horny
1: but if you take too much you become a plague zombie kids are calling it trillium d I'm
0: your co-host Peter You have been banger after banger introing lately you've had a you've had a groove man Well, you know,
1: uh, the source material has been giving me the opportunity, so I got to seize it where I see it.
0: Certainly another fantastic episode to review this week. What was it? Boy, howdy, huh?
1: I mean, wow. What are we watching? (laughs) Like, holy shit, where did this show come from? (laughs) It's not uh, uncommon for us to hit a episode here or there where it's like, That was really good. I can't wait to watch more of this, but to get two in a row. Wow. Season three, episode 19. Damaged first aired the 21st of April 2004. Written by Phyllis Strong. Who's not in there? Mike Sussman. What's going on there? These
0: two used to be inseparable. Directed by James Conway. Old DS9 hand, Jimmy Conway. Uh, happy to see uh, his touch here. Uh, a lot of DS9 going on here, actually. Um, Casey Biggs, who plays the captain of the uh, the hapless vessel that ends up uh, being central to the plot here. Uh, he's, a, he's one of the many sort of uh, supporting players that got a lot of uh, recurring credits on DS9. He played Damar. Um, and I, I, this episode is spiritually a lot of DS9 in it. A lot of... Dark moral choices and having to live with consequences of your actions and just juicy story beats left and right. But the the one I want to focus on first is actually one you confidently called a few weeks ago because I remember it. I remember when you said it because I knew it was going to happen. So it stuck out to me and I tried not to give away then I, that that's you called it so perfectly. But what does it feel like, man, that you're on the Topal drug abuse <laughs> plotline here? Like just if you, you, you basically just shot a three from half court and nailed it.
1: It's a very special episode.
0: <laughs> it is.
1: How do you tell a good Vulcan story? Right. Right. Uh, Spock, he's half human. Uh, so there's a chance for him to go off the rails and become emotional. Followed by Data, who was, a, you know, the de facto Vulcan. Uh, very science and uh, logic oriented, but this is a guy who wants to be a human. And it's a uh, story about becoming human and failing a lot and just wanting to fit in. You move into, I don't know who it is. Analog would have been in deep space nine, maybe Odo.
0: I, Odo is probably the closest analog. Cause he's somebody who is very clearly the most alien of everyone, but trying to understand and, and, comprehend his solid uh, compatriots and even have close personal relationships with them? Well, I think Vulcan in
1: Star Trek is translated to mean no emotion, right? Right. Devoid of emotion. That's that's Star Trek uh, definition there. So Odo, at least from my outsider observation is the least emotional character in that show. And then you get to Voyager where we get our first real Vulcan who is coming in as a complete character. And we saw what happened. It's a boring character. It's a character that when you dedicate an entire episode to them, you get a bad episode nine times out of ten. And it's only through very strategic pairings that they were able to present two Vox stories that were fulfilling. There were good Tuvok stories that, you know, explored his past and you could see, oh, that's little glimpses and insights into Vulcan society. But by and large, he's a boring character because they stayed true to him almost all the time. I mean, occasionally his Vulcan logic side would get turned off and we'd get an exciting episode here and there. But there was no real plot progression except for the end of the Neelix saga where he dances his foot and we say, okay, he's not completely made out of ice and they learn from that and they get to enterprise where uh you're taking two things the crowd loves uh non-emotion robot people and boobies and spandex and you combine them together into paul only this time they realize based on the adventures of 7 of 9 that you have to have this emotional journey to keep people invested and if you play the vulcan card too close to the vest people are going to check out so certainly T'Pol has had some dips here and there where she has strayed from the logical path. And we've seen her flirt with disaster Um, and disaster being deviation from Vulcan perception of emotion of mental wellness. Right. She mm-hmm. went to the jazz club.
0: She was willing to indulge the Cenobites. Yeah. They set a, a nice breadcrumb trail that when they ultimately make the revelation that she has chosen to do what she's chosen to do here, you buy it there's been mm-hmm. plenty of opportunity for you to see that she's always had this interest she is a deviant she's flirted with this and, and her deciding to go whole hog is not shocking
1: not even flirting with it i mean she has fully embraced the opportunities that have been put before she made the active choice to be assigned onto enterprise right like suval didn't force her to do this it, it seemed like this was a mutual conclusion that she would go out on this She braved the initial couple episodes and put up with the human stink because, again, ultimately there was something out there that she wanted and specifically something back on Vulcan she didn't want. She didn't want that uh, prearranged or preordained marriage, right? Mm -hmm. She has made the choice to be there, even to the point where Suval's like, you're being recalled. You're coming back to Vulcan. And certainly a lot of that is these are my friends and I'm going to help them. But I think there's also very clearly a... Uh a selfish motivation she's had to get more of what she wanted, call it emotional adventure, call it what you will. but now that has mutated to the next stage, which is basically open rebellion. I had a very dangerous encounter with Trillium d back in uh gosh, what was the the zombie episode called Impulse yes. It almost I, I see what I can kill people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it can turn me into basically a zombie that's trying to thirst for your blood. I am the reason why the ship cannot just coat itself in this and become immune to the anomalies. Uh, but you know what? I'm I can't just leave it alone. I'm going to find a way to smoke it.
0: i going to start off in pain. <laughs> you know, I'm going to get gonna... high the, the way I can.
1: I'm going to take it. I'm going to put it in a paper bag and just huff it like it's a can of Krylon. So, yeah, th- this this has been a great journey for her to keep her interesting. Uh, it's been my suspicion, as you've pointed out, that. Something's going on. She is not well. Uh, and there has been something emotional going on, it. If she was mentally sound by Vulcan's standpoint, a lot of the shit that's been going on just would not fly. So the real question, you know, the the only thing I didn't know is, is she sick with something outside of her control? Uh, Or was it something else and clear it's been something else? I had no idea it was going to be her, you know, basically playing with uh,
0: uranium. I mean, it, it is a testament to their planning this season that six weeks ago you were picking up the vibe that they had already started to lay the groundwork for her to get to this point for this revelation to occur. And piece by piece an inch by inch and momentary emotional outburst or revelation, you were noticing. Like this is weird. This is odd. She's acting a little out of character. She bang trip. You know, she was jealous. Like, of all, everything is pointing towards her being affected. And your mind went immediately to: Is she still affected by impulse? Is like that actually what it is? That she's just the long term damage of that exposure, just as something that hadn't solved for yet. And a great support of that
1: theory. Is that you take Flox, which is their primary medical source, and he is wrong
0: a lot. Yeah.
1: You know, especially uh, with
0: unknown space things like right. you find in this place, part of space.
1: We go to uh one aka doctor's orders, where he thought he would be fine, and lo and behold, they get three days in the trip or two days into the trip. And turns out, you know, he's going space madness too. So it all makes sense that there can be lingering effects. This is a show that embraces its. um, Its own chronology and and we build on previous experiences. And a lot of times in Enterprise, it's been we thought things were okay, but it turns out they're not. And now we're dealing with it. So I'd be real interested and it's a goddamn shame. Yet again, stop me if you heard
0: this one that there's nothing in memory alpha. Yeah, they don't go into detail about what we're talking about good for us i guess because it kind of allows us to kind of roll out our thoughts but i'd like to know who was the architect of this plot line yeah Uh, because there's kind of discussion to to take to get all of these writers to get on the page like you need to plant these seeds in your scripts because we're going to end up doing it here i don't believe that it
1: was Berman and braga i think this is too fancy for them too bad we can't ask manny maybe uh who did you see who executive pro executive producer credit was on? I mean it has to be
0: uh Sussman, right? Uh Manikoto had a a um, co-executive producer credit on this, I noticed. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Sussman
1: in conjunction with Strong, and that's why Phyllis Strong got this script, was to really capitalize on some uh early season planning that they had on this. Uh regardless. Her going the drug angle was the real shocker. I mean, jumping forward quite a bit here, the concern that Paul shows uh, when they're kind of doing the initial damage assessments, like they mentioned the cargo bay and like her eyes get or maybe she even brings up the cargo bay. Like, what's the status of the cargo bay? And I'm like, well, I know the goddamn Trillium D's in there. I figured that her fear was that, oh, God, the uh, the environmental shielding or the seal, the hermetic seal got cracked. And now she's concerned that this Trillium D is going to drive her crazy at the worst possible time. Really, she's just a junkie, you know, worried <laughs> about her fix. next fix. Yeah. This is Phil Strong's last script, by the way. Was the last well, she time went she out had. on a fucking banger, man. Good on yeah. her for knowing when to dip out. What I cannot congratulate is the decision to run the fucking previously on.
0: Yeah, they certainly uh, paint every piece of the picture for you right up front. War crime, man. You're coming into this.
1: No idea that last episode was going to be the fucking cliffhanger it was. And I mean, I I would say last episode was strong enough. You could have ended a season on that. That would have been a good season finale to come into a season opener here. So what a treat you're getting this between episodes 18 and 19. Like, I I'm hard pressed to give you another mid-season cliffhanger as strong as this one. Uh, but yeah, the, previously on Enterprise and you go right to it. The first thing, the the impulse flashbacks, Trellium D, crazy Vulcans. It's like, well, thanks, you fucking assholes. Now you've ruined the surprise.
0: Kind right. Like you could have continued. You could have used this moment to tell me I wasn't crazy for noticing that T'Pol seems to be losing her shit. But not tell me why and let the episode tell me why. But instead, in the first 10 seconds of the previously on, you tell me why. That was rough. Did not like that. Did not like that at
1: all. We get through the uh, previously on and things are going to pick up in the Legion of Doom town hall meeting. But well, got- we, we
0: do. We do get a quick, you know, Enterprise has been spared. The ships have stopped attacking just as they were on the verge of destruction. And then they, they cut back to the Legion of Doom after the credits. So that was uh,
1: a good scene. Enterprise is getting rocked. People are getting blown into space. Huge lesions all over the hull. Uh, Reads like, hey, we can't take much more of this. To Paul, for all intents and purposes, frozen like a deer in headlights, giving zero command input while they're just getting batted around. I fully expected Shran to show up and fucking, you know, interdict him. Uh, so the way that Enterprise survives this is the attacking Zindi ships just peel off and leave them kind of, you know, wounded,
0: dead in the water. Very, very surprising. So the Legion of Doom, the Terminus Systems Legion of Doom are talking with Dolum, the uh, leader of the reptilians, probably the what you'd call the primary antagonist of the
1: show at this point. Do you know why? I don't know why. Because insectoid CGI is probably expensive. So if, <laughs> <laughs> if someone has to be the main bad guy, it's going to be the guy in the rubber mask, not the expensive insectoids. And his terrible costume. Right, also, like, the mantis people. I'm sorry, the Sea World people don't get to be around that much
0: either. So he's having a conversation with the cheap Zindy. Uh, it's the cheap <laughs> Zindy Council. It's the inexpensive non CG city uh, Zindi hey, council. So there's the arboreal,s yetis. correct. Then mm-hmm.
1: there's the reptilians. There's the uh, Zorax. There's the Sea World guys, and then there's the primates. Correct. Is there another
0: one? It's just the five, because there's like uh, Degra. There, were, there, there were six races, and one the of them aviaries, was, a, the the, yeah, so was the pterodactyls. The pterodactyls—they're the ones that died in the war.
1: Who I still oh. think that God. What if those are the future people trying to pioneer fluidic space, so they could just fly unhindered through the galaxy? So there's Degra. He's a uh, a, uh, primate. a primate. And then there's the black dude. Is he also a primate? So in this scene, there
0: are two primates
1: and one arboreal. Fun fact. Black dude has like a bulb on the front of his head almost. And I don't know if that's just the actor has a a weird forehead or if that's a prosthetic they
0: put on him. I think they were trying to make some differentiation between different members of the Zindi interspecies. Although Rick Worthy is the guy playing the arboreal who is actually black. So it's like (laughs) poor, poor dude is buried (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> under all of that, that does not
1: look like a comfortable costume. I am gonna tell no. you that right now.
0: No, the, although I, I do think that the lizard makeup is good. Like the Zindi reptilian makeup is good on the face and the eyes like that stuff is well executed. It's just the costume that sucks. I was going to say, if I could make it past their ridiculous
1: Barbie doll accessory outfits. <laughs> it does look like it is like.
0: Uh, 70s Ken going out to the disco. Yeah, it's like Studio... Ooh. studio six, <laughs> we went uh, back 56. in time
1: yeah. to Studio 54, and we've brought back favors for everyone to wear. So they're having this meeting. Um, the expensive Legion council members are absent because they didn't have the CGI budget. They're busy using it on awesome everything else on this show. Uh, and as you said, uh, the reptile guy is basically baddie
0: number one at this point. And there is trouble in paradise. The primates and the arboreals clearly are their own clique. The reptilians and the insectoids are the antagonist clique. And is the aquatics so are the kind of the swing vote that is largely siding with the arboreals and the primates at this point. And they have all gotten together, the the three, shall we say, warm blooded species against the cold-blooded species, saying We have concerns about what we're doing here. Uh, You were not told you were allowed to to attack Enterprise. You did it anyway. Um, So we've called them off and the council wants to talk to Archer. So we're changing what we're doing here. Uh, We're taking Archer from you. The the aquatics are going to actually take him back to Enterprise. And we're going to sort some things out and... Dolom protests very harshly, but ultimately uh, is has his hand forced. Basically, Degra r- wields the the big dick here and says, uh, yeah, no one trusts you. Uh, you are kind of a dick, and we're just going to kind of order you around and take things from you, and you're going to fucking eat it for a while.
1: Also, you're a fucking liar, and uh, your promises don't mean shit around here. Degra, yeah, man, like real talk up and down the fucking wall.
0: Yeah, he's he's like, mm, 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 I don't like what's happening. And he's always been cold on the uh, building the weapon to begin with. He's never enjoyed it. And he's been giving reason now reason now to know that, like, I maybe this was a bad idea. And he is seizing that. And it's kind of building a regard for him in a way that it feels very natural to the progression we've seen over the course of the season. They wrap things up there. Oh, also, there's a big pushback from Degra
1: that, you know, we should have finished Enterprise off. At the very least, we should have like moved in and taken everybody captive. You mean Dolem? Yeah, Dolem, which is kind of right, but
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, know. I mean, like you could just seize it and like drag it off and control. Even it if Dolem
1: didn't know that all of this is a big lie and it's just uh, the f- the interphasic fluidic people jerking him around, like. The dude's not talking crazy. Unfortunately for him, you know, he is such a piece of shit that nobody wants to do
0: anything. He says, as you have pointed out, and them's the brakes. When, when we cut back to Archer, by the way, he's briefly on an aquatics ship. We get to see the two things. One, Jonathan Archer had the best night of his life the night before, because he has what I can only describe as a cornucopia of fresh, high value headwinds. I mean, I don't think you could open his uniform right now because the ocean of cum that would come out that's been held back right now would just would fill it, would fill it, would fill the chamber,
1: chamber. he's in would also be full of fluid as well as the rest yes, of the ship. it would. He wakes up dazed and confused from such a wicked bender he had been on the night before. And he's like, what the fuck? How did I... How did I end up in SeaWorld? <laughs> I've been very drunk, and I've woken up in some very strange places, but I have never just woken up in a SeaWorld before.
0: <laughs> the it, aquatic
1: it, vessel, it's equally cool and stupid as fuck. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like, how did you guys master space travel exactly? I need i need a flowchart. How we got the A to B here. You've I'm
1: not nice. seen it. Clearly had a monopoly on all of the money on Zindi, and we're able to just pay everybody else to make these ships. All parts of this are dumb. It's just a huge open cavern; you can't even see the walls in. And then this manatee slapping a control plan with his flippers. <laughs> like, so it's like really, <laughs> yeah, it's real alien. So it's like, yeah, it's kind of cool. But you're like, how did how did you launch your initial fucking rock? It's like take any rocket we're launching with SpaceX or NASA right now and be like cool put tons of water in there so that has to take off as well
0: yeah no not buying it i'm not buying it i'm sorry guys but hey whatever it's star trek i'm here i've seen dumber things i've seen much seen... dumber things you thought this what you thought about it you tried sure. well, it's way more than i can say for a lot of things you've done so
1: Archer wakes up and he's like, hey, I'm not supposed to be in SeaWorld. And he starts banging on the window and then the thing like floats over and then is like, fuck you and just gases him.
0: <laughs> like night, night juice. So uh, they go back to Enterprise. We get our first taste of what's going on there. And it is bad news. Uh, the ship is more fucked up then I think we have seen a Federation ship since the year of hell. And unlike in the year of hell, it stays fucked up, right? Like there's no reset, right? Like the same Voyager. There's no homeostasis waiting at the end like, of the episode for you. Get used to this CG shots of like pieces of the hull missing, because you're going to become very acquainted with it over the next like six episodes. And gee, there- if only there was a death stop truck stop out there to fix you up. For the low, low cost of a low performance cast member. I'm just saying if they ran into the death stop uh, truck stop right now, they would they would feed Reed read to it explicitly like, hey, would you fix our ship in exchange for this man's brain? We know no. you suck brains. We know you like brains. We're saying we've got one for you. Will you please
1: take him? No, because as you will recall, it beamed him back. It returned it to Sender. <laughs> like, no, we don't want that one. Death stop, <laughs> truck stop knew that he was bad news
0: and wanted nothing to do with him. Space Bucky's is smart. It does. <laughs> it needs Mayweather. It's like that coiled obsidian steel will come in handy. Absolutely.
1: Um, did they do the meeting with the future lady yet? No, that's not until later. The set damage is really standout. Sometimes a ship will get fucked up there'll be some schmutz on the wall and you know, some foam rubble on the floor. They do a really nice job of just thrashing these internal set pieces, engineering bridge, even people's quarters are covered in shit. Uh, I think that the level of damage you're seeing looks realistic, like shit laying in the way is stuff that very well have could have been in the ceiling. Like next gen was notorious for it. there'd always be like this big, piece of scaffolding that would drop out of the ceiling and lay over the bridge you're like i've seen the ceiling of the bridge many times that that is not a piece of inventory why are there rocks up there
0: (laughs) (laughs) like there's always rocks on the ceiling
1: to be fair i you know if you're gonna be a malicious federation engineer designer putting bombs and consoles to blow up in people's faces why wouldn't you have nets full of rocks Hanging f- above the drop ceilings just to fall and hit bridge crew members. Like You put feasible. those
0: in after the IEDs, obviously. Mm-hmm. The IEDs. Uh, this, all, this all reminded me of Battlestar Galactica. I mean, it's a classic example of the same sort of way that you have the realistic damage when the ship. You've got people, they've got they're welding things, they're cutting things loose, they're trying to move shit out of the way. Gruesome it looks
1: injuries, like- too. There's a lot oh, of yeah. sweeping shots we'll see throughout this episode of people in sickbay with their faces burned up and shit. Uh, let's see, what did we watch previous people back on
0: duty, even though they're fucked up, you know, like you're, you're not going to die. Get back out there.
1: Yeah, this is do or die. Uh, We're in damage. Zadi prime was great. Hatchery little CG heavy doctor's orders. That was a real sleeper episode. Uh, So they're saving money on doctor's order. Stratagem was a pretty simple episode. I think proving ground.
0: I mean, that one had the uh, Andorian ship, but the Andorian ship wasn't particularly complicated.
1: You know what? Let's say it was Carpenter Street. We got the special effects budget in this episode, courtesy of shooting that and uh, True North. Just the tried and shrewd old paramount backlot sets a seventies earth and fucking or, the or just shooting
0: on the street in LA to calling it Detroit mountains <laughs> in the background and palm trees. Never mind the palm trees. This is Detroit. It just reminds me of the uh, Christmas uh, vacation shot when they're going to get the tree and they're supposed to be in Wisconsin. And they're like going through these Rocky mountain vistas. Like you ever been to Wisconsin? Ain't no fucking mountains in Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> Just Mars Cheese Castle, which is a mountain of itself. Uh, they go mountain. down to engineering as part of this. I love trip here, where he's like, "Yeah, uh, primary warp coil is fused." Be uh, it's like how long to fix it? How long to build another one? Three weeks? If I have the parts, I don't. <laughs> like just like, not possible. Cannot go to warp. Zero chance. I there is no Scottying this. There's no MacGyvering this literally it's bust. it's busto we have zero chance and everything's still like blowing up it's on it's like fires are starting all around him and he just like looks to to paul's like it is not safe to be in engineering you should go <laughs> like you're the captain you need to get the fuck out of here i'm barely we already lost one captain today
1: yeah reed this is a good episode for reed and reed's kind of hanging out as her right hand man through a lot of this He's the one voicing what the damage is. He was really the primary command figure during the attack. And I think using Reed as being the the person that demonstrating the most agency in this damage situation is a nice way to really highlight the fact that Paul is way off her game right now.
0: And we start to see signs of that immediately. Uh- Once more, I would like to say, credit to Julie Blaylock. her acting ability has certainly become quite manifest over the last, we call it eight episodes. And from the start here, she has to convey an emotional response to things that is still restrained relative to human normal, but very clearly beyond the cool as a cucumber, absolutely no emotion at any time method by which she was playing to Paul the season prior and from the, you know, it's unfortunate that the previously on spoils it, but if you just view her performance independently, I think she does a great job of conveying to the audience that she is in a not well, she is reacting to things in a fashion that is abnormal. And the episode does not beat you over the head with that, nor tells you why until it is prepared to tell you so uh kudos to her i mean she's being asked to do some difficult stuff here and she does quite well with it in my opinion and it has to be
1: welcome to i mean you're playing robot lady and she puts a a little zing on it here and there as possible but now it's like hey three seasons of being a popsicle stick you can finally start flexing some wings here and, and doing yeah. abnormal you get, stuff. You get to be fully fledged character now. Congratulations. And Jolene Blaylock specifically. I don't think there's ever been an episode I can readily recall at this point where it's like her performance sucked. Granted, a lot of the times the script wasn't acting, asking much of her. Right. But I've always right. felt that she's put a faithful effort into portraying Vulcan, doing things the right way. and, Doing what she can with what the scripts have provided her. Obviously, it, this season they've given her a lot more on her plate, and it's nice to see yeah. her continue to deliver.
0: And I recall when we started doing Enterprise reviews, I even mentioned that she was notable amongst the cast members for having put in a lot of extra effort to try and understand the source material and where a character is coming from because she was literally playing an alien and yeah her performances have been flat but that's just because her character's been flat her character's been kind of an interesting for the most part Mm -hmm. and now it's not and she's doing a great job with playing it differently she even like even in doctor's orders when she wasn't even technically playing to paul it was a similar circumstance where she's got to play her own character significantly differently but in a very specific range the bad parts for to paul
1: it's not acting it's just Embarrassing decontamination room shit. And- yeah,
0: like I do, and it's another thing the show's done much better, right? Like it used to be straight up cringy sexual exploitation because of of Jolene Blaylock, and now it's we're gonna do sexy things and we're gonna do romantic things. And we're gonna do uh, we're gonna play into that, but at the same time, we're going to actually treat it with plot seriousness. We're going to make it count. We're gonna make it matter. We're going to relate it to what's going on with your character. And then suddenly it's not actually, it's welcome now, right? Like there's a f- shower scene. She's got to close off, make out with Trip. It, you know, it's, they're, they're going for it. But at the same time, what is it doing? Well, it's, it's her dream because she's going through withdrawals and she's got all this damage and she's thinking back to impulse and they make it work. They, make, they give it purpose. It's not her just horny to fuck flocks uh, in the decontamination room anymore. Yep. Uh,
1: they move through the plot pretty quickly here because before you know it, there's a ship on sensors. They're locking on weapons. What the fuck is this? It's Zindi design. It gets in close. They realize it's not trying to attack them. There's one life side aboard. They bring it in, and it's basically this coffin spaceship And who was inside? Wouldn't you believe it? It's Jonathan Archer. So the aquatics knocked him out after he started banging on the glass, seemingly on orders from Degra to get him from the reptilians. And there is a conspiracy now within the Legion of Doom that has effectively. Jailbroken Archer returned him to the crew and Archer doesn't know. Anything as to why it happened, the crew is real quick to gloss over any possibility that he may have been tampered with or an imposter or any of the other Voyager considerations that we would make as to why has he been returned. But Archer's leading suspicion is, I think I made some progress in the peace negotiation, you know, basically trying to talk him out of this thing.
0: He says he got through to Degra. Like in the end, I think I kind of convinced him that there's more to go going on than he knows. And he bought it. I Um, like the way they frame it, and it's later in the episode, but uh,
1: it basically boils down to, you know, I may have not uh, converted them to our team, but I I think I've certainly made them start to
0: doubt their own team. When he's in sick bay, that's when you get first your sweeping shot of everyone's super fucked up. It's a room full of two faces. It's bad. Harvey Dent's Uh, as far as the eye can see. 14 crew members dead. There are three missing who are probably the three they have blown into space that we saw last episode, mm-hmm. like literally them. That's a huge loss for this crew. That is. The the crew only had had less than 100. I mean, I'm going to say 85, 86 people on it. So Sprinkle lose... some
1: Makos in there. What, 30 Makos?
0: Yeah, like they they brought the Makos on probably, like you said, a platoon or two of them at max. So you lose 14 people, you're you're losing like 10% of your crew. Just gone. Just dead. Those are the people who are gone forever. And you got a whole bunch of other people wounded who can't work. Right? And now you're trying to keep the fucking ship together, try to get it repaired enough to to continue your mission. And Phlox's sick bay is literally standing room only, except no one's standing and everyone has face burns. It's, it's bad and it's well conveyed.
1: T'Pol's barely holding it together as... Uh they're briefing Archer on what's going on. Archer's quick to get out. You know, doctor confirms like he's not super fucked up. He's just, you know, his blood pressure is fucky because his massive boner is still there probably for the rest of the season from the head wounds. He just suffered
0: at the. He's uh, going to have the reverse of erectile dysfunction. He's going <laughs> to have a permanent erection forever.
1: He's going to have to take so, pills to make it go down so he can, you know, get in and out of that jumpsuit. Um, and by the end of it, Archer goes to take a pat or something from DePaul, sees her hand shaking, is like, hey, you know, are you all right? And instead of just being like, hey, by the way, I'm addicted to fucking trillium D. <laughs> I've
0: been doing crack rock for three months. Joe Rogan, I'm going to tell you something I haven't told a lot of people. <laughs> I smoke rock.
1: <laughs> uh, They part ways. And he's like, listen, I need you ready to go. And she's like, OK, Uh. And there's a quick
0: scene after this where it's it's uh, Travis and Hoshi like working on the aquatics pod and what an it's obligatory kind of eye
1: rolly scene, man, like you got two characters you never give screen time to and then somehow you feel like you get your arm twisted behind your back to put them in a scene. So rather than put each of them in a scene with, you know, someone else with active plot, they're like. Here, we're just going to give you guys this little kid's table
0: scene. Now shut up. I mean, I like it in that it's Hoshi, like, very briefly showing us her character trait of, I never wanted to be in space to begin with. It's been a long time since we've had that trait show up. Been all season, really. Uh, Well, she grew
1: past it, man. That was her big... uh maturity point that we never got to see the real payoff on because it's just a deleted scene but this is a huge regressive step for her.
0: I don't so much regressive so much as like even if you have you know you went on this mission because you're bought into the necessity of your presence there and you're going to do your duty and to to you know Starfleet and your friends and your ex-boyfriend and everything else you you're going through some shit you're going to be like boy I could have been a pianist because if you weren't
1: here though then maybe the earth would just be blown up in fucking two weeks. Like
0: that doesn't get mentioned, but it doesn't have to get mentioned. No, of course it's the idea is, Oh, she's having a moment of like, boy, I'm in way over my head. And Travis there to say, like, be the hopeful. Oh, we're going to get home. Don't worry about it. We're going to do it. And Hoshi, like, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> that's seems an unlikely scenario, but let's keep doing our work. I, I agree. That's a kid's table thing, but I think that it's not a bad scene. And it's just needed. There needed to be more going on there. When is the last time those two characters
1: said a word to each other?
0: I couldn't even tell you. And Was they worked slug-o? well together. Was it Sluggo? I, I, I do not know. I don't know at all. They certainly never seem to have a lot of scenes together. And they seem to be two characters that could really work if you put them together a lot. Because they're the... The new guys, you know, they're the ensigns. Both very hopeful. They come from dramatically different backgrounds. Someone literally spent their entire life in space versus someone who kind of doesn't want to be there. And you could do a lot with the two of them, you know, helping each other figure out where they're going in life or to adapt to different circumstances. Hoshi being used to being in space and Travis getting used to dealing with things that aren't just, you know, The endless void that he's driving through, you know, social skills, talking with people, meeting new, you know, new species, the things she's good at. And, you know, they just don't do any of that. Whoops. Oh, well.
1: The fruits of their labor, just to talk about that real quick. Ultimately, there's nothing unique or special about this pod. The only thing they're able to find other than basic navigation instructions on the computer is a. Uh, legacy repair manifest or something uh, of people putting in requisitions for replacement parts. All of the techs involved we will come to find out are named the same uh, as Degra's children so there's your confirmation that this was an intentional escape uh, jailbreak by Degra and he will also be providing them with star coordinates for where and when to meet him. Uh, But there's bigger problems to solve right now, and uh, those are going to be compounded by the fact that out of all of space and all the crazy places to be so close to, like, the Death Star birthing chamber, along comes another ragtag group of uh, space adventurers limping along inside the Delphic expanse only to find out it's not a good time. And uh, they're letting off a distress call that Enterprise is able to intercept. I thought that this scene here for sure was going to be like Degra, you know, hiding in the cargo hold with like the old lady blanket over his head like, oh, I wanted to meet you in private. Nope. These are just random jackoffs.
0: Yes, they're Illyrians who are the same name of the species that Una Chin Riley slash number one is supposed to be a part of, but. Uh, clearly some memos got lost, but whatever, it doesn't matter. More importantly, they're led by a familiar face, Casey Biggs. Uh, we'll call this guy uh, Discount Damar uh, in honor of his uh, regular appearance. And he's like, yeah, hey, listen, um, yeah, this part of space is pretty fucked up, isn't it? <laughs> or you just like, I don't have time for small talk. Uh, can I have your warp coil? Can I have it? I need it. I need it real bad. And he's like, no, no. Then I want not warp drive. We'll be stuck. are your... three years away. We're three years away from home. You can't. I mean, I'll give you other things. I'll help you out. We can trade other stuff. But like that one, I I can't give you that. Are you kidding me? No. Great job framing this dilemma
1: for Enterprise, because as soon as they started talking, immediately I got shades of the anomaly. And that was a space pirates episode, right? Mm-hmm. And boy, that sure comes up. It does sure come up because it's Enterprise, which is a group that prides itself on its morals, and they are above certain actions. But here they are in their time of need. And uh, here's some nice guy marks that have what they want and don't seem to be willing to part ways with it. I think there were some diplomatic options that they could have pursued here. I mean, namely just trying to to run an Uber mission, right? Like, hey, I've got Trillium D. You'll be immune to the anomalies, but here's the deal. I need you to drive me over to these coordinates.
0: Right. And we'll help you out. We'll give you transporter technology. We'll make it super worth your while. There's going to be a huge old tip at the end of this, but this is the or situation we're in. Maybe you could drive us to the supermarket
1: so we could buy a new warp coil. Like there, there's a little bit of options here.
0: I'm not faulting the script for not fully exploring it, but I think they did enough, though, because they said there's a three day timer and they had to get going. So it's either steal the marks, warp coil, or fuck off. And when they refuse, that's when Archer has a, an extremely dramatically lit conversation in his ready room with Phlox. When does she go off to get her fix? Uh, I think that happens sometime after these guys show up, before he has the conversation. Because the actual sequence of events, we've talked a bit about out of order, is... A uh, nice guy Damar, shows up, says no. She goes to try and get her fix. Then Hoshi comes through with the message that, like, hey, we've got three days to get these coordinates, and this is clearly something Degra wants us to do. And then that's when the decision for for becoming a yo ho ho and bottle of rum uh, occurs. But to Paul going to get, to get her fix is. She does it in an EV suit to get into a decompressed uh, cargo bay where the now, Trillium is. Again, my thought through all of this is that she's being affected by the Trillium D against her will. Yeah, and that's and where that the dream she- the dream sequence is right before that, which kind of gives you that impression because she's in the makeup and she looks like the horrific zombie while she's like yeah, fucking tripping so, the so to shower. Go back
1: to that shower scene real quick. I mean, you talked about it already, but. Uh at first I figured it was just real. And it makes sense. Like really? everybody's on edge. Uh I thought it was a real humanizing point that like she would have him over and basically deflect the horror of the situation around her by just trying to fuck the pain away, right? Very peaches mm-hmm. of her. And that, you know, that's a good chance for Trip too. But again, it is a dream sequence which ultimately becomes a nightmare because she, she you know gets overly rough with Trip. Tries to bite him, he pushes her back, and then we see her in the you know nasty witch plague zombie outfit, and she wakes up like, oh shit, you know, this is bad. And I think that's what prompts her to go get the suit on. I figured, again, that her concern is that the Trillium D has been exposed to the atmosphere, that she's getting sick, she's putting the uh EV suit on. Right, right. To negate the effects of the Trillium D to go basically see like how bad is it? And my question through all that is like, why wouldn't you tell the captain like, hey, listen, I think my crazy pills have spilled out and this is an issue now. So when she gets into the cargo bay, it's been a while since we've had a real OSHA situation on her hands. But her in the EV suit crawling off the fucking uh, suicide observation platform, falling down. The
0: excellent design of these EV suits where when you fall on your back, the pipe just shoots out. (laughs) You know, the most important part, the part that makes you breathe, that's Mm -hmm. the part that's vulnerable to disruption. If you do the simplest thing, which is fall down, she gets in the
1: Trillium D again, appearing to be like making sure that everything's fine. Really? She's trying to get access to one of these tubes, Shakes some rocks out cut to her in a lab holding this stuff with her hands. And I was like, oh my God, what's going on here? Vaporizes it. And then like injects it in her fucking neck. And I'm like, uh, what? <laughs> Cause like my line before that is like, Oh, look at that. You know, uh, uh to Paul's basically, uh, you know, she's like a drug addict. And it's like, yeah, yeah. She, Jesus Christ. She's like a crack. She's a for real crack addict. Like, what are you doing lady? Is that after she has her big moral objection with Archer though?
0: No. No, she – the big moral objection with Archer is what prompts her to finally confess to smoking rock. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, she gets out of that and is like, I think I might have a drug problem and I need to go talk to my doctor. <laughs> like, good good job, Paul. Good self-actualization of your flaws is something a lot of people can learn from. So so uh, she, she tries to get – she gets the rock. She liquefies the rock. She ejects the rock. Now we all know what's going on. Hoshi comes through with a message. He has the extremely dark lit moment with Flocks, where he's like, "Flocks, have you That's ever done?" One dirt?
1: way to look at it. The other way is to look at it as the um, the comedic interjection into an otherwise very dark and broody scene. Like we need to, we need to lighten the mood. Let's get some slapstick comedy in here. Bring in Flocks and Archer. Archer's going to be, you know, with the fucking Morticia Adams block lighting across his face as he stares out into the void of space. Very dramatic, doctor. How long have you been practicing medicine? Yeah, oh, almost forty years, doctor. In your forty years, have you ever done anything unethical?
0: He does say twice. <laughs> we've seen them. <laughs>
1: we've seen twice. But what if that was his answer? Well, at least twice, right? Huh, John. Nothing with this fucking you, elbow, you
0: were definitely part of one of those. <laughs> like recently,
1: yeah. <laughs> there was the um, there was the uh, clone mi- we made. <laughs> there was the misappropriation of the uh, sea slug clone, and uh, well, I would be remiss not to mention uh, the entire planet full of people be condemned to space aids like <laughs> assholes. Although he might not see that one as unethical because that was his the idea. Fuck out of here! He's got at least <laughs> a, an IQ equivalent to the length of his toenails. All right.
0: (laughs) It's an impressive IQ then.
1: you, You know how many fucking degrees, advanced degrees this guy has.
0: I, I I'm with you though. Like it is, it would have been nice if he would have said, well, I think we've already done some questionable things, right? Like just, you've already been very good with your continuity in this episode. Why not kind of reference similitude at least, right? Like to say, well, a few weeks ago, we did clone Commander Tucker. So, <laughs> for spare parts, we've done it. You, he even mentioned it the week before. Like we were there, right? Like, eh, kind of a miss that they didn't explicitly do that. But fine. I don't think it was necessary. Like, obviously, I'm not willing
1: to let a dear doctor go. Uh, but this is a great scene, and. I could have used or so I thought I could have used some conversation regarding the anomaly and the space pirates and to really flesh this out. But I think this is Archer almost looking for pushback. And, you know, in doctor's orders. Archer has acknowledged flocks as a equal, right? He gave mm-hmm. the keys of the ship he has said as much as that you are, you know, i i have no compunction leaving everybody's life in your hands. you are a you're a real one and and i respect you. uh he's not telling flocks, hey, i've committed we're we're going to start doing some some uh chaotic not chaotic evil, but this we're going to start doing some neutral evil shit here. i think he's looking for some sort of pushback. And Flocks is certainly not the one to give it to him, and no. it's it's a pragmatism out of Flocks that I can respect. And Flox almost does a little bit of digging, like, "What exactly are you going to be doing here?" And he's just like, "People are going to get hurt. Be ready for casualties." And he's like, "All right, I always am. Let's do it. Ride or die.
0: We're all here because we know the stakes. We know how like your entire species will perish if we don't succeed. So." Flox is definitely not the guy to tell you no. And sure enough, he goes to Reed and says, put a team together. We're going to go stealing warp coils. We're taking it. This is when we finally get back to the Zimbabwe. Well, that scene with Reed.
1: Kind of. Kind of shitty. Because we just had hatchery. Mm -hmm. where we've just learned that we as the audience are supposed to take Reed to be the good guy, and the bad guy is supposed to be Major Hayes. So Archer, knowing that of all the people on the ship, the Makos are the most militarily effective, especially when you consider the fact they know how the right way to hold a gun, which is... Forbidden technology to read. But that he doesn't go to Major Hayes and says, listen, you were willing to follow my fucking orders when I was like brainwashed by uh, egg juices, salmonella. <laughs> um, I need you and your badass murder crew to roll with me to go do some fucking dirty. I don't want to ask my good guy Starfleet people. I need ice cold thugs to back me. So him going to read like... I, I would almost like to have seen Reed get, like, a little resentful. Like, not now he fucking comes to me when it's time to do dirty. Like, he could have felt that it respected him as a uh, as a getter done guy. Uh, he could have had uh, some sort of disappointment that Hayes wasn't being involved. Like, he offers a little bit of pushback at first. But, you know, Archer's like, we're fucking doing this. Get it ready.
0: I think it has to do with just simple logistics that you can't have Stephen Culp in every episode, right? You, know, you, sure. you only pay him, you only pay him so much. So you, you, you bring them on when you're going to use them a lot. And I agree, like this would have been a good use for him, but I get where it's like, well, you got to use your regulars, right? In reads, your They're regular, spending you put so much in money. Them.
1: And also to a big component of this was going to be the space combo that was going to be going on. It really would have made sense to have Reed on the bridge. And again, Hayes is a cool
0: character. The Makos are cool characters using him. Well, it's not a miss. Bridge, though. Reed is on the bridge. Like it's Archer that goes over and leads. Oh, somewhere. right, right, right. Yeah. But he's got so, Makos with him. That's correct. He takes Makos. He, he does, in fact, bring the murder crew and Reed. read mm. man's Poor and the gun. choice, So he gets the shitty ones. He does. He got definitely got the shittiest one. The one Maybe that he always knew. gets her ass kicked.
1: Maybe there's like a mutator on that mission where it's like you will have to suffer at least one loss. He's like, well, fuck! I don't want the fucking Israeli hottie <laughs> taking one. <And laughs> yeah. I certainly don't want the other blonde lady with the see-through clothes. It, give me that shitty one that to Paul. Not Daniel Day
0: Kim. We don't want him getting shot. No, he's bring got, me the one that gets gets her ass kicked all the not time. Not gonna by get Cowboys. a fucking job on uh, Hawaii Five O with one. a limp. Come on. Uh, they do. They, we do finally go back to a very, very interesting scene with the Zindi, and it's the Zindi Council room. But there's only the Arboreal and Primate Zindi counselors there. The budget-friendly Zindi. That's the really delineating factor between the good
1: guys and the bad guys: is how much money does it cost for your costume?
0: And they are talking to who they very clearly indicate is a member of the Sphere species. The Sphere Builders, if you will. This is a different looking one because this one apparently is not uh, suffering. Made out of chocolate. (laughs) It's chocolate syndrome. But this was the her that was referred to last week. And here we've closed the loop, right? Now we know that the Legion of Doom has been influenced, if not fully formed as a unit, as a consequence of the interference of the Sphere Builders. And here's where so much starts to come together, right? What did we hear from Daniels a long time ago? None of this is supposed to be happening. Someone is fucking with time. It was left kind of there, right? Like someone's fucking with time. The Zindi aren't, didn't, weren't supposed to attack Earth. This isn't, this isn't a thing. But yet they did. How did they get their act together? Why is this happening? Like, why is this occurring? Well, now we know. It's the sphere builders who are the ones that are orchestrating this from the top.
1: Now, Decker's balls are still swinging heavy from his last meeting with the reptilians. Uh, We've got some questions we want you to answer. Did you know that the reptilians were building a fucking bioweapon that we specifically vetoed and that they were doing it in the past? And she's like, yeah, obviously. And he's like, well, what the fuck? And she's like, well, listen, I'm not going to let you drag me into your petty office politics. I'm doing you a favor. If it wasn't for me throwing them a bone and letting them go back to the fucking past of Detroit, they probably would have just separated and your Zindy council would have fallen apart. So I'm the real MVP and, you know, you need to hold your resolve. They bounce some other questions off of her without really playing their hand saying, you know, Archer told us this is all bullshit and you're trying to kill us all. So the the uh, the doubters of the group do a nice job of probing her and she gets prickly quick and finally says, you know. Fuck you guys, I'm out of here. Do not call me unless the entire council is present. I'm not doing this shit anymore. And then she uh, quantum leaps out of there and.
0: I mean, it's a clear political power play, right? Like you and I have seen this firsthand. You know, if you've got people in your coalition that are starting to get cold, you don't want to talk to them one on one. You don't want to. You don't want them to feel like they have an out. You want to force them into the room with the people who are your supporters, so that they feel pressured into not uh, opposing you because now you've got more folks there to push back on them. So this. The sphere lady says, I see what game you're trying to play here and I am out and I'm only going to talk if the insectoids and the the, uh, reptilians are in the room because those are my homies. There's only so far they can go in these
1: initial doubting conversations, right? You could say, well, why doesn't Degra say, you know, remind me what's in this for you exactly? You can travel in time. Like, why do you care so much about the Zindi. If you could travel in time, why don't you go back in time and uh, stop the fucking insectoids from blowing up the planet? Like, there's a lot of questions to start asking. And I think up to this point, they were unaware of the time traveling capabilities. So that that's a real good curveball for Archer to introduce. But she bamps out of there and the two primates are like are in the arboreal as well. It's clear her answers didn't sit well on anybody. And the other primates kind of like, she's full of shit, clearly. But like, why are we, why are we trusting Archer over what she's saying? And then Degra's like, because unlike her, Archer's given us proof, citing that, uh, the that badge. primate badge yeah. that they were able to quantum date. So, really strong writing chops to creating a difficult path for these guys, and mm-hmm. but putting enough path of least resistance towards Archer's story.
0: We, uh so we, that after that is where we get Archer telling the, his staff, like we're going to be pirates now. Um And they're not liking it, but everyone accepts the orders, except Paul, Paul, very emotionally and very angrily confronts Archer in the ready room. They have to physically keep closing opening and closing the door, which was very interesting for them to like play into that a in bit the
1: past where you have to open and close your own doors like hillbillies
0: <laughs> and the, the after to loses her shit and breaks the pad on the desk and recognizes that her emotional restraint is completely gone because she is passionately against this idea Quotes, uh, mentions like this is the exact same thing that happened to us when we came into the Expanse 17 episodes ago. (laughs) Like, now we're them. Archer's biting back. She's like throwing his own words in his his face and eventually gets to the spot where he's telling her she's got to do it. And she refuses and breaks the thing and then apologizes. Archer tries to buck her up thinking like, that's the issue. And in reality, it's that she needs to go and talk to her doctor about getting some methadone because she's on Mm -hmm. the sauce.
1: He doesn't know she's a a a dust head. Um, I like these scenes. I like the fact that Archer's reasoning is flawed. Mm -hmm. I like that there are real other options that are not being considered. But instead of wanting to nail Archer to a cross on it, I can accept the course of action that he's taking as valid, and you know, as a leader, still
0: right. I mean, probably still correct. Not so, maybe. it's
1: Kobayashi Maru, right? Like sometimes there's multiple right answers. Is one more right than the other? Who's to say? Uh, but you know, in leadership, sometimes. You just got to you pick a course, even if it's not the best course. If you stick to it close enough, you put the right effort behind it. You can still make it work. And that's what's going on here. You're not getting that. Oh, shucks, Iowa Boy Scout vibe that Archer gave off for a long time. He's not happy about what's going on, but he's sticking to it. And again, I'm going to keep hammering this fucking point. If he had been able to take back at least bad feelings from twilight and just be able to snap back in these moments and say i i know yes we are turning into monsters i'm telling you what we're doing right now is better than the alternative i i've seen the future we need to do this uh i i think it would have really added a lot of cool flavor to some of these dialogues even without it though he's not wrong he he's not right but he's not wrong. And that's the line that they're going to tow on this thing. So I need the fucking warp core. I'm unwilling to be Ubered around for whatever reason. This plot doesn't want to explore. We're going to fucking do this and I need you on the bridge and I need you uh, functional. So whatever kind of trauma you're dealing with right now, uh, go find some fucking time to meditate and drink some tea or whatever, you know, get, get some fucking chicken, Broth, whatever you do,
0: <laughs> get it done. <laughs> and her conversation with Flocks is good as well, where she walks through finally what's happening. And sure enough, all those the things we talked about at the front for twenty minutes, we won't rehash it now. Comes out why she did it, what the impact has been, where all of these things you've seen have been related to this and Phlox being very gentle, trying to help treat her current issues, but also like you're going to have a long-term problem here. We've got a lot to work through. I know you got to go do your job right now and I don't like that, but uh, please stop smoking crack (laughs) first and second. You will have crack withdrawal issues and you're going to have to live with them.
1: Luckily for T'Pol, anybody else that might be in the uh, sick
0: bay to overhear this very this like damaging unconscious conversation. people who are like, I'm sorry, did I just hear the first officer is smoking rocks? <laughs> 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 the fuck? Like, you literally are getting asteroids and, and injecting them into your bloodstream. F- <laughs> there's hardcore drug use. And then there's, hey, guys, I got some rocks. <laughs> Would you like to inject them into your veins? I would need a guy like a cargo special, like,
1: oh, that's where all the Trillium D went. <laughs> like we you thought son of this. mice <laughs> I've been missing that shit for weeks. We we thought mice were stealing him, or it was just evaporating, or like find out that there's like a big conspiracy and like multiple members of the crew have been smoking space rocks. And like finally it, things had played out differently, and Archer was able to like diplomacy negotiate better with uh, the the nice guys and go to give them the Trillium deal. like we've got 40 pounds of this stuff and like what the fuck there's only 15 pounds like where's all my Trillium D at <laughs> like there's a episode of Sunny in Philadelphia
0: just waiting to happen here and except, except you know Vulcans it turns them into zombies but humans it just gets them high like they have smoking a bunch of bunch of weed <laughs> So it's like, everyone's been do, doing it in the cargo hold and then, you know, like talking about politics for six hours. Trillium D
1: actually regrows hair. So all the bald members have been like, or like, it's like uh dick pills, right? It's uh, a, <laughs> it's not, an
0: aphrodisiac. <laughs> it's
1: whatever. It's a weight loss drug. Like it's different for everyone. Find out. Yeah. It's like needful things. It's like the devil's rock. And it's just to each person praise to their vices differently.
0: Uh, Archer launches the assault on the nice guys and they're not much of a fight even for a badly damaged enterprise. Um the Mako's, you know, they use a stun grenade <laughs> which was neat. Um they are, you know, doing the standard Star Trek gunfight in the hallway thing. It's very low budget. It's very um close quarters, but it's convenient. Man. It's good though. Yeah,
1: it's and good. Jump back I don't know. Right after we find out that she's smoking rock. Again, I feel this dread come on me that like, God, I hope they don't cut away to like fucking credits. Like I haven't felt the fear of a cliffhanger as after what they did to me last episode where they cut out just when it got good, when the entire thing had been going, I'm like, please more, please more, please more back to Jamie, uh, watching the rest of the season and like one sitting or whatever fucking shit she did. Like, I get it, man. If 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 we weren't on a schedule, I'd have banged these things all out last week. Um, so th- it is it the most kinetic crazy awesome gunfight, no, but it's real solid especially for Enterprise. And It is again, they could be going harder, but nobody is happy about the way this is going on. There's they're trying punches. to stun them,
0: they're trying to like just do enough to get what they need. And sure enough, Paul like, will
1: not blow up their weapons because she's not going to leave them helpless. I almost expected Depaul Paul to like try and hail them and like do that thing in Star Trek where like someone fucks you over to save your humanity and like pull you down off the cliff and find a way to negotiate it or, or something. But the fact they go balls in and, and
0: rob these dudes, they space mug them. Very surprising. Yeah, they commit to the bit. they, Paul, doesn't contact him. Instead, she finds a weak point in their power grid to take their power offline so they can steal the warp coil. Reed, instead of putting, like, the the most bloodthirsty uh, murder hobos from the
1: Makos in there, (laughs) he picks the shitty lady from the Wild West that got fucked up by cowboys. Right. Like, I mean... Every choice is to minimize casualties. I'm surprised I didn't see uh, Ensign Leaf Brain from... It's madness world. with the yeah. fucking like rocks teleported in his head i'm surprised he wasn't there like hitting people with a rubber chicken or something
0: <laughs> they they commit grand theft warp coil successfully uh beam it off but right before archer beams off he runs into good guy damar who's like oh so you're just you're just thieves you're just muggers you're just monsters and you know again what is this? This is a replay of the exact conversation Archer had with the pirate that was in his fucking brig, you know, 15 fucking episodes ago. And he's, like, trying to say, like, I, I don't have a choice but to do this. I left you Trillium D, I left you food, I left you supplies, they're in your cargo hold. Try to get home safe. But I gotta do this. I have to take it, and I ain't fucking apologizing. Go further back. There's
1: another episode that really should have been chimed in here, and it is... Uh, was Space Al-Qaeda.
0: Oh, uh, oh, gosh.
1: Not Harbinger. No, I know
0: which one you're talking about. Proving? Chosen
1: Realm. Chosen no. Realm, yeah. Chosen Realm. They don't mention it at all, but that's the exact same thing. You have a technology I need that is critical to my jihad, to my to my war. This is the most important thing. It brings me no joy in doing this, but it must be done, and I'm going to do it. I God, I hope that gets brought up or thrown in his face. I mean, this would have been the episode to do it, but like, whatever his name was, Panil or whatever. Like, you're you're acting like the pirates. You're acting like that psycho that had suicide bombers. Like, what you're doing right now is wrong. Anyways, so he's stressing about, oh, you're a bad guy, and Archer's like, no, I needed this and uh, energize, and then they beam out. And at this point, I'd like this guy to be like, whoa, 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 what, what's, what's this thing that just happened here, like. <laughs> I didn't know you hold on like call comic like listen, listen, listen. How about this? Uh, You keep that coil. I have no leverage at this point. Let's time travel back to when you initially asked me for this. You tell me you have magic. (laughs) And that in exchange for you creating a three year trip home, right? Mm -hmm. I could be home before the crew of the SS Minnow gets back to Hawaii And when I get back into Doc, I will be the richest, most powerful person in my species because I will have the power of transporters to make my wildest dreams come true. That's not a bad trade for three years of your life. Like, you've got a winning lotto ticket for like $80
0: billion, man.
1: Wow. That's for three years to anybody. Moops. Moops, you thought fucking to Paul getting addicted to space crack was the stupidest thing you're going to watch this episode <laughs> nobody it's you passing on this hotness you could have gotten into the ground floor before uh you know prime directive and we can't spread technology here you are you big fucking dummy
0: hey like listen what's a little blood contract if you can get your hands on all the thumb in the Sweet world am I right? good stuff too you want to be friends lower go for it let's go they wrap it up from here to paul has this therapeutic conversation with Flocks about getting over her rock addiction. <laughs> um, uh, it, it's, we laugh, but it's well, well, well done. And and Trip plugs in the warp coils like a thing fit like a like a butte didn't have to do much to make it work. We can go with warp 3.2. And Look, all try- this blood all over it actually lubricated. it it got <laughs> in there real nice. Turns out when you steal something and it works better. Who knew?
1: When's Have we seen anybody, any Starfleet captains yet? I can't speak for Cisco, but I can't think of any time someone has actually robbed another ship that was actually a ship full of good guys. So much good drama in this.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. Good- the, they, the fact they commit to it, too. Right. Like there's so many outs you could have taken so that they didn't have stained hands at the end of this. And they went, no, you are in a desperate struggle to survive. You're going to have to make a morally indefensible choice that's practically correct, and you're going to have to live with it. And they make him do it. Also, too, you know, Archer could have thrown out there
1: when she started giving him pushback. Like, you know, you're turning into pirates like, listen, I was just ready to go on a suicide bombing run and kill everybody on the construction force here like inconveniencing some other guys for three years is much lower on the the hierarchy of fucking sins here. Just shut up and and hang on We're we're, (laughs) this is GTA we're in now. Uh, Great, great episode. Everything fucking clicked right into place. Stupid characters and people I don't give a shit about. Normally, everybody just firing on the right cylinders and just, yeah, a real Battlestar Galactica. Like we are in a desperate situation. Nobody is happy about it. Everybody's not
0: on the same page, but we're all marching forward in lockstep. What are we watching next week on this incredible show that you <laughs> apparently have started watching recently? Uh season
1: three, episode 20, The Forgotten. This is gonna be Chris Black. Nice. David Goodman. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh no,
0: no, 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 no.
1: Well, it was a good show for a while, but if they're giving LeVar Burton an episode, we know uh, we're going to be going a certain direction. And that's down. Two members of the Zindi Council offer to stop the launch of the weapon if Archer can prove that the Zindi have been manipulated. The crew holds a memorial for their dead shipmates. Wow, look at that. Like two things that play off each other. Well, it's not like. Archer needs to make proof. Also, to Paul's horny again.
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, sh- the, the ship is being invaded by, by uh, butt probe aliens. Also, what is uh, Reed's favorite dessert? Mm-hmm. Uh, the warp core that they have stolen is going critical and everybody
1: is going to die if someone doesn't sacrifice their lives. Also, Phlox
0: can't find his toenail clippers. Well, thank you everyone for listening to V'ger, please. We hope you have enjoyed listening to us as much as we've enjoyed watching enterprise (laughs) something i don't think i've said ever uh and we'll hopefully see you next week